You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. So happy to have you here. And uh, special thanks to all of our uh, great distributors out there with Simplecast, uh, getting us out to YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Rumble, and uh, now Telegram, which is great. And as, as I said before we started rolling, this is surreal for me. This is somebody who has been a real inspiration in my life and has made a huge difference for me. And uh, a lot of you tuning in probably have heard of the name. Uh, but our, our guest is a fitness YouTuber, entrepreneur, and coach who has been actively mentoring a generation of young men internationally since 2007, training them how to become the strongest versions of themselves. With over 2.4 million subscribers combined on YouTube, his students refer to him admirably as the king of making men strong. He is the founder of the famous Strength Camp Gym, originally based out of St. Petersburg, Florida, as well as an avid practitioner of bioenergetics, active meditation, and strongman training. Please welcome to the show, Elliot Hulse. Thank you for having me. It is so great to have you. and. Wow, there's so much to cover. I don't know how we're going to cover it all within an hour, and that's fine. We're, we're, gonna, we're just going to start from the beginning stages. I think we're going to have great conversation, and it's just such a, a blessing and honor to have you on. Uh, as I said in kind of my email, V-mail pitch, uh, I've been following you for quite some time, and you've made a huge impact on my life. So I want to just first, before we get into things, sincerely thank you for everything that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank the Lord, because I don't know you. And so it was somehow by someone else that I got in front of you. And I can't take full credit. Amen. Amen. So your beginning stages, um, you obviously were into sports at a young age. I was curious to find out and kind of dive in a little bit more into your childhood, per se. Mm -hmm. any any proclivities that were going on early on that kind of ignited your spirit as far as you've talked about being a beta male early on and how this journey kind of happened for you was there anything that really happened and what was it that happened where maybe there was a calling perhaps at one point or was it really just sports like kind of walk me through those beginning stages <laughs> of your youth and how you turn into who you are today well, I have to begin by saying that I have a alpha male father, a very strong, disciplined, uh, involved uh, father. And that's sort of a gift today. We don't have too much of that. Not only that, my father's from Belize, a different country. So he didn't grow up with the gynocentric brainwashing that most of our dads, you know, I myself included to my children. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the dads that my friends had, my dad was just a hard nosed jungle man. And he lived by the law of the jungle and he raised us the same way. I resented him as a result because I wanted Nickelodeon dads. I wanted my neighbor's dad who was, you know, fat and kind of funny and didn't really pressure the kids too much to do anything. I would have I would have traded any day. But, you know, my my dad's DNA, his essence and his teachings live in me today. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to have my my mother's brother, my mother's brother, my uncle, 
lived with me very early when I was young. And he was a, you know, also from Belize. But when he came here, he was getting his butt kicked a bunch in Brooklyn. So he started doing martial arts. And so he was a black monk, black belt in Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. He ran marathons. He did gymnastics. And then about the time I, and you know, when I was a kid, he lived with me. So he taught me how to train. I was like four or five years old. Wow. He had us in the basement, me and my brothers, we were doing push-ups, sit-ups, climbing ropes, kicking bags. He used to like chop bricks with his hands. He'd do like these Kung Fu flips and stuff like that. So, you know, I, between those two men, uh, you know, they really infused a solid dose of healthy masculinity in me. Of course, it was a seed and it needs some time to flourish. Uh, but those two men have been tremendous blessings in my life. When my uncle, when I turned 14, my uncle started uh, bodybuilding and he became a personal trainer back in 1993 before it was even a thing. Now everybody's a fitness coach. But back then it right. was like, you know, it was weird. What do you mean? You, you show people how to work out. That's how you make a living. And he did that. And so he took my brother and I under his wing and showed us how to lift barbells to get bigger and stronger for sports, for football. And so I have, I'm blessed with great genetics, great upbringing and training uh, with the barbell that allowed me to excel in, you know, a lot of different areas in my life, except school. I wasn't really like a good student. <laughs> so, so college years come around. And if I remember correctly, I remember you talking in, in a, num a numerous amount of your videos about uh, college sports, football, um, and, and some partying that was going on at one point. I know that, you know, you, you'd be sitting there uh, over a weekend and it would take about to Tuesday or Wednesday to recover. I remember hearing some of these stories on some of your YouTube uh, videos years ago, and it seemed like football was going to be kind of the, the main route. Uh, expand on that. Was, was that. was that the case? And then if so, was there any, was there any uh, again, I keep going to the word proclivity. Was there a proclivity towards, you know, maybe this just isn't enough for me. Am I searching for more? You know, was that there? And if so, when did that happen? It's so funny, like, in high school, I found my greatest loves in life. Uh, I met my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. I was playing football, which was my passion. And I was lifting weights, which was my vocation. So I basically was handed my path, my wife, and my vocation. <laughs> all, all you know, in the four years of high school. And so when you asked me if it was not enough for me, oh, it was everything I would ever want for the rest of my life. And, uh, and I was great. I, my, I was great at all three of them. You know, I, I, I loved being with my girlfriend at the time. We basically practically married from the time we were in high school because we just spent all the time together. Wow. Uh, and then with football, I was built for football. I, football, they say, is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And I run head first into things, <laughs> metaphorically and literally, I just ran my head into shit. So I destroyed all my opponents by smashing them with my helmet. That was like a, uh, back then it was okay, but I think you get, like now you'll get penalized and fined. You can get kicked out of football now for right, that. Right. But I was the king of smashing people's faces with my helmet. Bang! I had, I, I prided myself in having the most scarred up helmet. It's probably why I have brain damage now. 
a scarred up helmet, like all the chips paint would come off. I'd it'd be all scratched up. And wow. so it was just for me, it was like a badge of honor to have the ugliest helmet because I was constantly smacking people with it. So between that and then weightlifting, which was, you know, the other nine months or, or eight months out of the year, my life was packed. And so once I graduated college, I continued studying exercise science. That's the only time I really actually got good at school. I studied exercise science for a little while. I was preparing to go into the Marines as an officer. Interesting. And the uh, the Twin Towers got knocked down. It was 9-11. And so I was preparing to get to go sh get shipped off. That's what I was, yeah. I was thinking I was going to do. But different turn of events or fate would have it different. And um, because I was going to go away, I married my girlfriend at the time. And so we got married really early. I was like 23. She was like, she, I was 23. She was 22. And we got re married really early. And um, well, the football thing didn't I, at this point, the football thing didn't pan out because I'm like a foot too short to play football. But I was into fitness. And I was into all kinds of really cool things until I found Strongman, you know, maybe about five years later. And and with your entrepreneurial spirit, how did that come about? Was that was that kind of early on, you know, when when creating Strength Camp and, so and that funny. successful brand? Yeah. Again, it's like one of these things like I was just built for and like fate just handed me. I remember being like in fourth grade. Now, mind you, this is like 1986. <laughs> right. Now we have like all the entrepreneurs on Instagram and everybody's right. an entrepreneur. But I literally right. remember reading about the French, I think it was the French Revolution or something, but it was it was some French chapter in our social studies book uh, when I was like in sixth grade and the word entrepreneur showed up and we had to define that. I was like, I never heard this word before. It's a weird word. I, I still can't spell it. <laughs> and uh, and it was someone who works for themselves by finding what the market needs and giving it to them for a uh, price. And I was like, wow, really? I mean, I never heard of the concept before in my life. Like, what do you mean? You don't have a, you don't have a job. You create your own job. It was in my head, but, you know, I'm like in fourth grade, so I'm not thinking too much about it. And then when I was in ninth grade, my uncle showed up one day. My uncle was an accountant. Same uncle I was telling you about. He showed up one day with a, with a gym bag and a basketball. And he says, I quit my job. And, you know, everybody's like, what are you talking about, Uncle Elroy? My mom, his sister is like all worried, like, oh, what are you doing? You quit your job. He says, you don't understand. I now work for myself, training people in the gym as a personal trainer. So I was like, let me get this straight. So you go to the gym. And he's like, yep. And I go whenever I want. I make up my own schedule. If I don't want to work, I don't work. And I'm like, and you just show people how to lift weights. You just work out with people and. They pay you. He's like, yeah, that's right. So not only do you have all the autonomy to do what you want, you charge your own rates. So you get paid whatever you want to get paid. And you get to do cool stuff like hang out in the gym all day. And so my mind was blown. So I was probably about 13, maybe at the time, 14. Yeah. I was like, once again, my fate was sealed. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so it, was, it never, ever crossed my mind ever after that, that... <laughs> I'd be marrying this girl, doing this job and living this life. And here I am, you know, 20 years, 30 years later. That's great. That's great. So it really, it just manifested, you know, it's like the Lord just kind of dropped this at you 
at an early age and and it really played out in a way that was just so him which is really cool right you know i don't i can't take credit i have a big ego by the way i love taking credit <laughs> i love being the guy but i look back on my life and i didn't have this humility to get here this is like this is just me looking back and saying oh well that's interesting i didn't do anything <laughs> i didn't do anything this has literally just been the path that's unfolded in front of me now i've had inclinations towards things like when i saw my uncle be a personal trainer for the first time i was like oh that's it but it wasn't like i had to make it happen it was just what was revealed to me about my life that's so powerful when, when you started building the brand talk talk to me a little bit about youtube what, what was the inspiration behind starting to to put the videos out and the the earliest dates that i remember seeing you kind of show up with the guy on the scooter in the background you know making all that noise while you're while you're taping and, and yeah. self-taping the scooter guy i remember that guy and the garbage guy uh <laughs> th those early days mm -hmm. what what was that like as far as the inspiration behind just putting out those videos. Did, did you feel like you were on to something or was it more of, I, I just, I'm going to follow my gut with this. Where was the inspiration for that? So you found me in 2013, but I made my first YouTube video about seven years before that. Wow. I made my first YouTube video the year YouTube came out and I didn't know anything about it or what I was doing. I just knew that if the people who were coming to my boot camps, my workouts, I called them strength camp. Right. I had a van and I would train people out in the park with, you know, sandbags and tires and train guys and athletes. It was really cool. And I was like, this has a lot of visual appeal. Yeah. You know, I knew, I knew marketing too, because I studied marketing, not that I studied it like in school, but I bought a bunch of marketing books and courses when I start, when I became a personal trainer. Um, and so I knew that it had visual appeal. So I started filming the workouts, I had like a, you know, like a handheld camera with a tape in it. That's how old it was. And I would film the workouts that the guys were doing in the park so that they could share it with their friends mm -hmm. so that they would say they could say, hey, check this out. This is what I was doing last night at this workout. And so the whole purpose was that they would I would send it to them and then they would share it with their friends. And it worked. It got me some referrals. Little did I know. Like I, you got to remember now. There's no such thing as an influencer back then. There's right. no such thing as a as a YouTuber <laughs> or social media celebrity. This shit doesn't exist. It's not in my consciousness at all. Right. Uh, but by and by, I started to notice that people are watching the videos that are not coming to my gym. In other words, wow, there are a lot more views here than clients. So where the hell? How are people watching this? And so, you know, I discovered that, you know, YouTube is a sort of a search engine. I never consumed YouTube until maybe a few years ago. I just used it as a marketing tool. So I didn't get it. I didn't get why people watched YouTube. It's so funny. I didn't understand why people watch YouTube. Uh, and I didn't understand how to use YouTube. I just knew that I uploaded these videos and eyeballs were going to them. People were seeing them. So uh, around the same time that I opened my gym, I also became familiar with digital, well, ebook publishing right so i started publishing ebooks on those uh, i started publishing ebooks and i learned how to build an email list this was you know 
way be- I, I met the guy that coined this phrase squeeze page it was like in, you know 2007 his name is Bat- matt basak and so uh I, I built squeeze pages with html and i would and i'd build email lists and i would sell them my football workout book or my muscle building workout ebook and i would sell those books and then i realized that all these people watching me on youtube might buy my books too right so i started putting links in my description and it was like mind-blowing like, wow i put the link in the description and i sold three ebooks today so i caught on really quickly that okay this might be a way to make money i wasn't thinking in terms of youtube partnership or i mean it came a little bit later when i met the hodge twins just building but building the business it was all building an information marketing business yeah so it went from getting guys to come to my workouts to hey wow i can actually um sell some ebooks here very cool very cool so so really it sounds to me like the traction began to uh it's like a snowball effect for those first seven years were mm-hmm. folks uploading the videos to youtube kind of like pirating it or did you when did you create your channel no i had a channel okay you had it mm-hmm. yeah that's the first thing i had to do i created okay. a strength camp youtube channel and i would just upload all my videos there gotcha gotcha that's amazing how it just kind of you know it, it there's no such thing as really overnight success it takes <laughs> it takes years for you know you just don't hear about it until you see you see somebody who's just you know rising um i want to i want to also kind of talk about uh, along the lines of that i have failure here and pushing through and persevering um what got you through some of those moments where it, it may have been really tough you know just just working on building the brand yeah well i wasn't thinking about brand see that's another i don't it's not a new term but it's a new concept building an online brand i was a direct response marketer i wasn't there wasn't a brand i wasn't thinking about no brand just wanted to kind of like throw that out there just give you the mindset of the sure sure but um i was a young father um at this time we probably had two children we have four now so babies were coming uh my wife we decided to keep her at home that it would be better for her to raise the children than to put them in daycare. Right. And so the burden of uh, financial performance was on me. We were uh, at one point over $90,000 in debt, you know, not including student loans. You know, wow. Both had a lot of that. And uh, so here I am, you know, driving this old beat up van, which, by the way, would constantly run out of gas and I'd end up having to push it in the middle of the street. No windows in it. Rain would just come in if it rained, because Florida, you like you don't know. It could be beautiful. Right. And then all of a sudden it rains. It'd just be raining in on, on me and stuff. And so, you know, I was poor, but I was I never thought of myself that way. I knew I wanted more, but I was hustling because I had responsibilities. And here, you know, it, and of course everybody's life is different. I I'm already betraying the fact that I'm from a bygone generation. But the idea that you need to wait to get married and have children, I think, is a scourge upon the uh, the motivation of man, because we spend most of our 20s and early 30s having, you know, living it up, having fun, 
you know, right. maybe I make some money, maybe I don't, uh, maybe I hang out, you know, so basically wasting. And when I was 23, I was making babies. My wife was popping out babies and I had to put food on the table and I didn't have time to do stupid things. I didn't have time for effeminacy. I had to work so I could figure out how can I take care of my responsibilities? And yeah. I can say for a fact that had I not had that fire under my ass, I wouldn't be where I am today because I would have been just like everybody else. Uh, you know, reaching my sexual market value as a man out there, I'd be I'd probably have several babies, mamas. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy that I did it the way that I did. Interesting. Really, really interesting. Bioenergetics. Uh, there was a video that you put out. Uh, brain slave no more, which obviously was somewhat controversial depending on what circle saw the video. I personally love that video. <laughs> uh, got a lot of value out of that when that came out. And this kind of stems in, into the next phase of, of the, uh, the conversation, bioenergetics, um, active meditation philosophy. You're a practitioner of these and an and avid reader, studier of them, and talk, the, talk about them a lot. How did you discover bioenergetics? Uh, when I was 24, after we had our first baby, we were living in New York, and, and we were in a, my father-in-law's basement, and it wasn't the life that I thought I'd be living at age 24. And I was like, so I don't want to say I was depressed, but I was in a state of confusion about my life. I'm like, what am I doing? And so, I, you know... I was seeking, I was searching. And one of the things I came across was I started reading, my brother gave me a book by a guy named Osho. And this, inside this book, he started talking about active meditations. He was like, meditations uh, for the modern man is much more advantageous if he moves his body and breathes. He's got to get up because if he sits down too much, his brain will race. He says, you can't hope to have a modern man sit down and stop his brain racing because he's addicted to it. It's, a, it's imprinted on him from the time he's a child. You got to get him out of his head. And the only way you get someone out of the head is to get them into the body. Hmm. So he had a, a form of meditation called dynamic meditation. Active meditation is a broad term. Dynamic meditation. And so I found a dynamic meditation workshop, 21-day workshop in New York City. And so I woke up four o'clock in the morning for three weeks straight, get on the train to New York City from Long Island to take this dynamic meditation class. And I'm not going to get into it now because I made enough videos making a fool of myself, breathing and jumping and huffing and puffing and shouting. But that's what it is. The first time I saw it or heard of it, I was like, this is amazing. This is who doesn't want this? What man doesn't want to shout to the top of his lungs and beat his chest and, you know, shake his shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I'm in my, I'm in heaven. This is awesome. Free license yeah. to make as much noise as you want. Yeah. And so it was very, once again, commercial appeal. It was very alluring to me and I knew it would be to others, but I wasn't even thinking that at the time, to be honest with you, I was thinking, how can I get the most out of this? And so when I went to, I did the class, and the instructor had a private session. You could hire her for private sessions. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. So I hired her for a private session for something called bioenergetic pulsation. That's what she called it. Bioenergetic pulsation session. I don't know anything about it. So I show up there and she has me bending backwards on my feet, 
with my mouth wide open and my eyes penetrating a wall. And she tells me, breathe. And I'm breathing like this for like, you know, 10 minutes. I'm like freaking out. I'm like shaking. And she's like, just keep going, keep going. So I'm wow. like, this is great because I like to train. So this is a challenge for me. Yeah, yeah. Like I yeah. could go run up a, a hill or I could do this. I'm like, let me do this. So I was able to, you know, really breathe that deep. And then, so you get to a breaking point with breathing. You know, uh, anybody who's done any breath work, they know that you'll reach a, you can reach transcendence. You'll get to a breaking point where all of a sudden, like you, or your ego dissolves. Wow. And so anyway, a, a very skilled bioenergetic analyst knows how to get you there. And so she had me go after, after doing all the breathing, she had me go over to a mattress, lay face down on it, grab the edge of the mattress. And she says, Start socking your hips. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean socking my hips? What is that? She says, hump the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> well, I start humping the mattress. And she says, but keep the breathing. So I'm humping this mattress. And it won't but five minutes later, probably less. Probably a minute later. I'm laughing like I haven't laughed since I was maybe five years old. Just belly laughing hurts it hurts how much i'm laughing but it's joyful I'm, tears are coming to my eyes wow and I'm, and I'm trying to stop right because i don't know what's going on I was like, what the hell? <laughs> nothing fun i mean it is funny that i'm humping the mattress but i'm like that's i don't think that's why i'm laughing and so i'm trying to stop i'm asking her, i'm saying to her like oh, i'm sorry i apologize like but she's like no it's okay keep going just go with it i'm like all right fine so i just keep crying keep crying but really in, in my mind i'm curious i'm like okay i gotta find out what the hell just happened so after I finished laughing, I say, okay, what happened? <laughs> what, what, what was that? And she says, well, you had a bioenergetic release. You had energy that was trapped in your pelvis, which is your joy center, because somewhere someone may have told you that it's naughty to have good feelings down there. And so she sensed that I had this hang up <laughs> from the assessment, the breathing that we did. And she yeah. said, so I just helped you release some of the energy that you had in the area. Well, I was like, well, that's freaking amazing. And I walked out of there glowing. Like, I wow. Was walking on clouds. I was like, wow, I haven't had that experience, that kind of joy in a very, very long time. Well, the rabbit hole goes deep. Many years later, I moved to Florida. Uh, I'm looking for more of the same. And I contacted her. And her name's Chrisana. She and I are actually very good friends now. And she said, no, I don't know of anything in Florida. You know, I'm I literally like out here. And she's like, but you might want to look at Alexander Lowen's books. He's the founder of this form of therapy. And so I'm like, okay, great. So I go on Amazon and I buy a couple of Alexander. Actually, I buy one book, A Language of the Body, and start reading this book. And I'm like, I'm usually a, a voracious reader, but whatever, I, I mean, I know what it is. The man is brilliant and he's a poet. He's a scientist and a lawyer and a poet. Like his writing, his writing is so easily consumable and enlightening that I, I ran through like, he's got 13 books and I've read all 13 of his books. I've never read all 13 of, I've never read anybody's books like that, but I'm just devouring this guy's books. And then I get to, I guess, you know, backtrack a little bit after I finished reading this first book, I'm just kind of like examining the book and I realize oh, it's published in Florida. Bioenergetic and now um, Society of Florida or something. 
and it's in Alachua, which is near Gainesville, which is a two hour drive from where I lived. So I call the phone number on the book and Dr. Glazier picks up. Dr. Glazier. And I end up doing three years of bioenergetic and analysis and therapy with the top student trained by Alexander Lowen. Then he died. Wow. (laughs) So that's that rabbit hole. It's, it's so fascinating to hear kind of, you know, how the knowledge has passed down. You've been channeling and we all do this, you know, rightfully so learning and synthesizing me as a, you know, an artist and an actor and in the entertainment industry, you learn from the greats and you synthesize it and, and pass it down to the next generation or to those around you or just share. And it's, it's really interesting to hear how you're just showing it in your own way. You're displaying it through your own um, life experience. And it's great to see how it it just poured out into so many lives, including myself, because uh, I think it was the RSD video way back uh, Mm -hmm. with, with Owen cook. And I I was just so fascinated by the the two guys that are sitting there with uh, what and what 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 exercise is that where, when you kind of stretch the 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 dog belly exercise? Uh, it's the called softening. the bow. The bow, right? And that's the assessment tool because it's also a tool assessment tool that Kersana had me do when I first met her and walked in the room that day. Yeah. Amazing. I I, I want to. I'm, I'm going to try and do that every day. I've I've known about it for years. I'll do it once in a while, just to kind of assess. It's amazing. And then when the vibration starts, it sometimes it's just shockingly violent. It's like you can barely stand up, and it, it's just amazing how the body, how how the the energy can just be stored there for years on a cellular level, in certain areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that it all comes from the work of Wilhelm Reich. And so I have a love hate relationship with Reich. But one of the brilliant things he did, he was a brilliant man, but also created some bad things in our society. Um, But one of the beautiful things that he discovered in his early work, kind of abandoned it to go do other things, was character structure. And so coming from the school of Freud, he would deal with patients on a path, uh, psychopathological level, psychopathology, you know, schizoid, oral, masochist, psychopath, narcissist. Um, these are the terms that they would use to describe various psychological predispositions. Well, Reich discovered that these character per, uh, or, or personality traits or psychological predispositions aren't just in the mind. He could, he could look at a person's body and diagnose schizoid, oral, masochist, psychopath. Wow. Because the body takes on the form of the predominant habit within the body. Where do our habits come from? Well, our thoughts. So our psychological predisposition determines, number one, our breathing pattern. You look like how you breathe. You're, think about it. It only makes sense. If every breath is a rep, you're building muscle around the way you breathe. 
So your body will take that form. And so he discovered that rather than, which, you know, I want to say instead of, not rather, because this is a far more superior form of therapy. And, and science is catching up now with a lot of the trauma release stuff that's you know going on with these PTSD guys. Um, he discovered that you get to the root of a person's issue not by talking to them about it. You can talk to your boo in the face, don't do anything. You change their breathing and release tension in their body that's holding them trapped in that repetitive pattern right form equals function so if you if you're built a certain way you're gonna you're gonna behave a certain way if you keep getting the same results well maybe you need to be built a little differently that was his theory of all all western breath work stems from wilhelm reich he started trying to just like freud it's so funny because Reich and 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 um, Jung or two of Freud's polar opposite students, and they 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 came up with brilliant things, but they also tried to do what Freud did, which was to medicalize psychology. It's it's yeah. a soft science. It's pseudoscience. You can't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna boil it down to exacts. But Freud attempted because he wanted you know that kind of prestige and notoriety. So. Reich, he was both Reich and Jung were adopting a lot of things from religion and mysticism, both of the spirit, but then also of the body, a lot of shamanic stuff. And so Reich avoided, you know, using terms like chi and prana, you know, these things that were from the from the East, even though they had been practicing these things. And so he came up with the term uh, bioenergy. He called it or he called it orgone energy, right? Which is basically sex energy. He called it orgone because the 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 movement in the body that produces or 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 the movement in the body that's indicative of sexual energy waves like this. And he called that wave in the body like this that it moves it from the head down to the tailbone, snake-like movement, the orgasm reflex, the orgastic reflex. Because when you're, you know, when you orgasm, you go unconscious and your body start. You could, you could, st- you could, you could evoke an orgasm just by doing this, right? You, because your body is going into that; it's sexual. But then also, when you orgasm, your body goes into a spontaneous uh, wave. It goes into a spontaneous wave. Now, depend. And so he was convinced that the health of the individual could be determined by the smoothness of that orgastic wave herky jerky so he would you talk he spoke a lot about sex like guys who they're just hip bangers right he says the hip bangers cut off from their spine from the the wave and so it's really about restoring all of his talk was about restoring orgone energy or the orgastic movement in the body so he's not talking like Montauk Chia with a lot of these esoteric Eastern terms. He tried to medicalize it, you know, by calling it orgone or bioenergy and the orgasm reflex and all kind of weird stuff like that. <laughs> wild, wild. And it's a great segue to uh, 
one of the one of the main themes of your content from what I've seen over the years, which is obviously masculinity and working with young men to just win at life, you know, become the strongest version of the, of themselves and nice guy syndrome. It's something that you've been talking about for years and would love to just kind of dive into that for a few moments. There's so much that you've covered on this topic on the internet. Folks can go, you know, check out just YouTube, Elliot Hulse. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of videos on it, but would love to just talk about it for a few minutes here as far as maybe from a cultural standpoint and the coupling of the cultural standpoint to individually how this has just become an issue. It's been an issue and it seems to be on a, on an exponential scale of becoming more and more of an issue. Yeah. Um, and it's the byproduct of weaponized sexuality. It's really what it is. And the, the purveyors of this, the creators of this knew exactly what they were doing. And so you can look back as far as, you know, or, or as near, because this has been going on for a long time, but as near as the Bolshevik revolution, 1918, uh, 19, I think the 1918 is a, is a, is a pr prominent year in that, but this whole idea of uh, creating communism in the, in the East was a byproduct of Bolshevism. This is what they wanted to do. Marxism, Bolshevism, right. Stalinism, um, this egalitarianism, this whole idea that we could uh, essentially become all equal. Well, it never really works that way. But the whole idea, the appeal was that we'd all be equal. And this worked really well in, in you know, Tsarist Russia because the class differences were really taking a toll on the lower classes. So it was an easy sell in Russia and Eastern Europe, some Eastern Europe countries. It was a very easy sell to say revolution. So they killed the Tsar of Russia and, all, and then they had their whole you know, Bolshevik revolution. Uh, and that unfolded as a result. And it was because you know, of the oppressed class. And so it, I think it was Engels, but of course he and Marx both understood that you revolutionize a society by, through class warfare. So you, in order to have class warfare, you have to have separate classes. Right. You have to have identity. Today we call it identity politics, right. right? But it's basically identity politics. You have to be able to pit people against each other. Now, this form of uh, revolution, they tried to spread West, but especially in America, it wouldn't take because of the burgeoning middle class. There was the, the gap between the rich and the poor in America was getting smaller and smaller because of our tremendous affluence. So there was no sense of uh, oppression, even amongst the African-Americans at the time. In the 1950s, African-Americans were doing really well. Uh, business, wealth, religion, family, intact families. In fact, they had they had more intact families than the whites and there was less um, divorce, but then also feminism. And I know you're asking me about nice guys. And so feminism is a, is, is a fruit of the same uh, class warfare idea that they knew they had to do import to the West in order to create revolution. And so guys like Antonio Gramsci and Mark Lucas went to business creating what we call cultural Marxism today. It's a cultural battleground. 
And so there are a couple of class distinctions that need to be highlighted so that we can pin them against each other. I mentioned white and black before, uh, which is, is a farce, it's a lie. African-American blacks were doing very good when this was all enrolled, start, all enrolled and started doing worse after the so-called uh, uh, civil rights movement, right? That's when governments got involved. They started tearing down the family through welfare, injecting drugs into this. So blacks were doing much better before equality. <laughs> yeah. Then, but then uh, feminism, so I just bring that up because it's an example, but feminism is really what we're looking at in terms of where the hell does this nice guy syndrome come from? And it comes from this, well, Wilhelm Reich had a lot to do with this. It all really, well, it's been on, it's been coming on, but it really peaked with the sexual revolution. It really 60s. peaked with the sexual revolution in the 1960s by unleashing chastity or making sexual promiscuity uh, cultural, which it was right. never, it never was at the time, right. especially for women. Women were very conservative because they had to be, otherwise they were at risk. Right. Like men. Right. Um, so prior to the 1960s, there was uh, patriarchy to a strong degree, meaning father's rule. And so the father was uh, responsible for the purity of his daughter. And that's also a religious standpoint. So with the sexual revolution comes the removal of the father. That's a big part of it. The father has to be demonized and, and, and removed and demonized, dumbed down, turned into an idiot. That's that has no has all the responsibility, but no power, no, no authority in his home. And that is also a fruit of removing God, the father from our society, because mm. in a home, in a Christian home, the father receives his authority from Christ. You don't follow a man. A woman doesn't just follow a man. She follows Christ. She follows God's rule and God's order by following men and women, this is just the way it had been for 2000 years in the West and built Christendom, it works. <laughs> and there was no oppression, there was just natural order. But all this was turned upside down, mainly because of birth control pills, abortion and easy divorce. Totally turned, totally shifted the power dynamics, not to give the oppressed more power and the, and the, and the oppressor you know, his, his just dessert, you know, men and women were the oppressors, obviously. Right. But to pervert gender roles completely in order to destroy the family. This was Engels, his, his intention from the beginning. And if you read a lot of the early and, you know, feminists from the 19th, from the 18th century, well, not this century, 20th century, uh, they all assert the main goal of feminism is to destroy the family by removing the rule of the father. When they say smash the patriarchy, that's what they're saying. Patriarchy literally stands for rule of the father. So we have to remove the rule of masculinity. We have to remove masculinity from society. Why is this appealing? Well, number one, it's appealing to the leaders because if there's no men, there's no, there's no, there's no fight back. There's women no will follow. Women are very easy to manipulate because they're not strong. And that's not a knock against women. It's not in their nature to stand up and fight against tyranny. But if men are subservient, weak, and effeminate, then and then you you know you do that partially by making the women into men, teaching them that they need to go be taxpayers, go have a strong, be a strong, independent woman, go have a job. You can have sex like a man. You can kill your baby. You can sterilize yourself until you're 35 and your eggs are rotten. All in the name of empowerment. So you kind of do a flip flop. 
you, t- you, you, you feminize the men by making them addicted to pornography, drugs. That's when weed became a big thing. Uh, today we have, you know, uh, video games. We got all kinds of things that keep men sucked in and weak. But what really put the nail in the coffin was with contraception because now we became simps. Every man that chases sex, sterile transient sex, is a half homo simp. Half homosexual because sterile transient sex is a byproduct of gay culture. That's, I mean, you know, we even talk about the Greeks when they did that, right? Was, you know, right. Sterile transient sex. Let's bone each other, right? So it's homo, it's homo behavior uh, to be a promiscuous man. Um, but also highly addictive to have sterile transient sex. Think about, think about sex apps, these, uh, these uh, dating apps. I deal with men all the time that are addicted to dating right. apps. There right. was at one point a sense of pride because, oh, I got out there and I got, I got some sex. But it very quickly, just like with any drug, you know, the first time you get drunk, you feel like high. And it's like, wow, I feel amazing. But then very quickly realize the futility of it <laughs> and, the, and how empty it is. And not only that, you become a slave to it. So when men become slaves to women because of contraception, now they become nice guys. Because instead of the women seeking the approval of men, the men are seeking the approval of women. That was so. Have you ever heard that women have the gateway to sex, but men have the gateway to relationships? So men, women had to appeal to men to be in a relationship with me, right? Because sex was inside the relationship; it wasn't free. Sex was inside, so it's like, oh, we got to negotiate this here. Uh, I want your sex, but you want my resources, or you want my lifestyle, you want my protection, you want me as a man. So we make a we can we make an agreement. But when sex is outside of marriage, <laughs> it denigrates everybody. Now the woman's value is lost because what? I don't need to do it. I don't need to give you anything to have sex with you. In fact, neither did the other fifty guys last week have to do anything to have sex with you. You just spread your legs and it's free sex. So women's value completely lost. And a man's sense of dignity thrown out the window. You have no power as a man when you're giving away your sex. And these guys, unlike, you know, it used to be that women would be, I just watch my, I watch my students and I watch my fans and I see it. It's not like I'm an expert in this. I'm just like watching them. I'm like, what's going on, guys? I know I'm kind of going on a rabbit hole here, but one of the, one of the perversions that you see is that it's the men now today that are getting their hearts broken. The girls are just, they're boning and they're going. They have no responsibility and they have no ethics. And the guys are like, boo, she, I was in love. It's the weirdest thing to watch. They fall in love with the sex from this girl and then they go. So it's really screwed us up big time. It's one of the greatest riffs and analysis that I've, I've ever heard on that. <laughs> really, really glad that you went down the rabbit hole. And, and we were able to document that. It's, it's fantastic, because um, it, it really combines the history and 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 also the the visceral aspect. Uh, I saw a video recently when I was doing some some prep earlier today with writing notes and whatnot, and the the sense of pride. Again, you know, a lot of my listeners may not like this, but it is what it is. 
how pride has been injected into the culture. Pride parades, right. etc. I thought that that was also an astounding uh, uh, just example and also summary of of Lucifer and how the fall happened through the first sin, the first fall was through pride. Right. And how it really, I mean, everybody falls short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So it's its not like, you know, we can't sit there and say, oh, well, here's the plank versus the the, splint, the, the splinter versus the plank uh, parable, you know, and, and it, it's very true. But it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting how it's just seeped in culturally. Right. And pride. We have pride month. Yeah. Not realizing how diabolical that statement even is. And you know what's so funny? Pride Month used to be Father's Day month. Wow. Pride has overshadowed the father, and it's so poetic because it's exactly what it's meant to do. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig- I'm gonna shift for a second because uh, I do want to cover a little bit of performance sure. before we start wrapping up in a little bit. Psychology, performance psychology, sports psychology. Uh, I think it's incredibly important as far as on the field or on the field of life in general, you know, preparing, uh, working through that and, and, and setting PRs for yourself, whether they're in the gym or, or just in life in general. Uh, your thoughts on that for a few a few minutes. Any key takeaways for any of the young listeners out there with overcoming anxieties about performance? Um, well, we can just go right back to what we spoke about before in terms of active meditation. Yeah, and bioenergetics. Great. Right. You don't have to think. Listen, it's hard to. I think uh, Einstein said that you can't solve the problem at the level at which it's created. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got a you've got a mindset problem. You're not going to fix that with your mind N- any more than I could touch the tip of this finger with this finger. Right. Or bite my own teeth. I, you just can't do it. And so. You got to you got to come from a different angle. And if you're trying to get rid of anxiety or depression, you can't think your way out of it. You've got to act your way out of it. You've got to move your way out of it. You got to breathe your way out of it. And so you see, I mean, Tony Robbins, he knows bioenergetics because he studied Alexander Lowen. I've seen him referenced in some of his books. Uh, What does he say? State, story, and then whatever, status. But it always begins with your state. If you're going to change something, you don't start with the story. You got to change your state. Right. You got to change the way you feel and then impress a new story. Mm. And so it just goes right back to the body. It's great. That's great. Any work with positive affirmations over the years? Were you ever really into that? And, and if so, uh, would love to hear just if anything stuck with you over the years where you saw some real progress with that and, and kind of positive programming. I did. I have. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, I, again, it's a pseudoscience. But not only that, it's pretty logical. Right? It, doesn't take, it doesn't take a rocket science to hear it, scientists to hear it and, and, and need proof because we've all experienced it personally. And it's biblical, 
right? Christ speaks of these principles and they're very evident throughout the Bible. Right. That the head is like Christ says, he's the head of the church. And the, as the, as the husband is the head of his wife, what is the head? The head is the planter of seeds. A man is a planter of seeds. That's good. Right. Where is he planting that seed in the heart? You plant the seed into a woman. She's your heart. She's a part of your body. You love her that way. You plant this. That's, and then what does it do? It creates a child, man, woman, child, male, female, masculine, feminine manifestation. Right. And so it works in the literal works in the figurative and it works this way too. You plant seeds with your mind, unless, unless, you know, someone else is planting seeds in your mind, but you can plant seeds with your mind, but where do you plant those seeds? You plant this, you plant the seed of a thought into your feeling body, your emotional body, your feminine body, your heart. So it's, it affirmations make perfect sense because you could, you could just talk nice to yourself. You could say nice things. You could say affirmative things and get absolutely nowhere. You just talk. You're just talking to yourself. You're just fooling yourself. You're trying to fool yourself. You have to get into the feeling state. Once again, it goes right back to the body. That's why it makes so perfect sense to me. You yeah. have to get into the feeling state of the seed that you're hoping to plant. Because otherwise it won't be open. You got to seduce yourself in a way. Think about it. Like in terms of sex with a woman, you want to blow your load in this girl. You know that you want to put it in here and you want to pull the trigger. You want to have babies or whatever. But it's not so simple as walking around with a hard dick and trying to poke it. Ah, come over here and poke it into somebody. Right. With, with, with no warming up, no romance, no taking your time turning down the lights, putting on some music, foreplay, fun. You see, all that is seducing. Why? Now, why do you do all that seducing? So that she softens and opens right up. That's what you want. That's when sex is pleasurable and, and profitable, when the woman is soft and wet and willing and open, right? And that's a process. You don't just go get that. You don't just do that. So it's the same thing with planting a seed in the feeling body of your heart. You have to stimulate it with good or, 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 or you got to stimulate it with intentional feeling. What is the feeling that I want to seduce my heart with? Is it one of triumph, overcoming, success, winning, whatever it is, wealth, uh, family. You, you take that image but then you have to feel like, wow, even though I don't have these things in the outward world, I can see it. I can see my beautiful wife and I can see my wealthy life and I can see the great things I'm doing for others. I can see that, but then feel it. Wow, how amazing is it? And so you play mental images. How amazing is it to walk into the house and see my wife and she's, doing this and that, and this, these people are benefiting from it. So it's not just imagination, but it's the feeling of the imagination. Mental discipline is really what it is because you could do it in the reverse. And most people are living in the reverse. They're thinking and feeling bad things. Mm. Most people, and here's how you, here's the thing, bro. Like you're doing it. I'm saying this and I'm sure some people are like, yeah, right. That's BS, but you're doing it. You're literally doing it right now, but in un unconscious way. Right. How many times are you thinking, oh, man, I'm not going to have enough money by the end of the month? 
or, oh man, I might not be able to pay these bills or, oh man, she might divorce me or, yeah. oh man, this, these girls, the girl doesn't like me or, uh, oh man, look how fat I am or, oh man, I'll never lose weight. You're not just saying that to yourself. Guarantee you're feeling something about that. And you know what you're doing? You're creating the baby because you haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you're fornicating. You haven't sex with yourself about bad things. So you're going to have bad babies as a result. You have all these bad results in your life. So might, might as well, it's happening anyway. And it's happening omnipresent. The media, the music, social media, friends, family, they're all planting shit in you. <laughs> it's happening. So might as well put up a block and do it yourself. Say, wait a second, I'm getting brainwashed all day long. I know I'm being brainwashed all day long. I'm, I'm highly susceptible to brainwashing. I know that. I'm an impressionable person. So you know what I need to do? Guard myself against bad impressions and impress good feelings or impress good things into my heart to get good things in my life. That's great. It reminds me of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, talking about the, I think it's the transmutation process where the feeling will evoke the manifestation. You, you first have to feel it or it's in the process of feeling and and creation coupling with with the yes. feeling male and female it can't yeah. just be heady it's got to be body absolutely absolutely your core values as my camera decides to shut off on me your core values uh which which are major and it's funny because i i actually had a dream about this a couple of nights ago and i had to put it in the voice memo at four in the morning and it was crazy. We had this, we're, we're talking, having, having the dialogue. And there was this clear message that basically, um, I actually got your core values without knowing your core values on the website. And then when I'm looking at the website, I saw the three core values that I talked about in my voice memo. So I don't know how that happened. It was just some sort of little prophetic download or something, yeah. but traditional masculine the dream uh, it, it told me to talk about three things which which are masculinity christ and the family and your your core values are traditional masculinity christ is king protect the family yeah which i think are just the cornerstone of and a, and a great way to really kind of start capping off on this interview is your core values in those three sectors and your future plans with those three. And I, I'd love to also kind of talk about your testimony. If you could elaborate on that for a couple of minutes, I'd love to just kind of hear how that came about for you and uh, how you became a believer. But we, we've talked about family. We've talked about faith. We've talked about masculinity, but those core values and where you see yourself pushing forward with what you're doing with all the great work that you're doing. Well, just like what we're talking about before, if you're ever going to get anything good in your life, you start with the head, right? Right. You gotta, that's the planter of seeds. And so it's the same way in the world. If you consider that the man is the head, if you don't get the man right, the rest of the world falls apart. If men aren't strong, women suffer, families suffer, society suffers. It all, and, and, and we see what happens because women are strong today. So it's not about making women stronger. Women are stronger and everything sucks. 
because they're not actually stronger. They're just more like men. A stronger woman is a woman is more like a woman. She's, you're, you're fulfilling femininity to its highest degree, which is wife and mother. But the world doesn't want to hear that. Right. Instead, they want to hear women are strong. And, and of course, everything has been turned against men. I already spoke to you a little bit about this ideological sure. subversion sure. and whatnot. Even chemical attack. Our testosterone levels are in the, in the toilet. Yeah. It's crazy. We're under all kinds of attack. But what do we have? We have a screwed up, diabolically disoriented world. Why? Because men are weak. No one can fix this but men. Now, Christ through men can bring the light into the world. But, but that's the only way. That's why the man is the head. So anyway, the point is that my mission, my work, my calling since day one, and it's so funny because I didn't make up this calling. I didn't create this calling. This is just what God did through me and it's doing through me. And I'm just aware enough to look and say, oh, okay. I'm here to make men strong again. I make men strong, fitness, business, women, whatever. What will make a man the kind of man that he needs to be in order to bring Christ's light to this world, become the strongest version of himself. And when that happens, Women will be happy. Children will be happy. Uh, families will work again. Won't have, you know, 70% divorce. Uh, communities will work again, but it starts with the individual man. Absolutely. Real quick. Uh, well, actually, uh, your, your testimony, if, if you'd like to expand on that for a minute or two. Was just curious to see. I guess how you're that... wondering how I became Catholic again, and so sure. yeah, I was uh, like many. I was baptized Catholic as a baby, and so now I understand the brilliance of infant baptism. I didn't understand it before, and it denigrated it like a lot of other people. Uh, but like most Catholics, I grew up not understanding the faith at all. In not only an anti-Christ world, but an anti-Mary world, which is an anti-Catholic world. Uh, the, the French Revolution, American Revolution, all these revolutions, not very different than the Bolshevik Revolution, just in degrees, was about destroying patriarchy. Catholic Church is Christendom. The West is patriarchy. And so in order to subvert Western society from even further back than the Bolshevik Revolution, we've got Freemasonry and right. Jewry and different systems of ideal uh, ideals that have, you know, crossed us. And right. so I was as anti-Christ as you could get, but a spiritual man, a, a, a God seeking man. And so I was very religiously promiscuous. I was all kinds of different religions. I was interested in every single religion I could find. In fact, when I was in uh, my second year of college, we got the internet for the first time and there was something called Napster. And I was downloading Napster files of Alan Watts talking, teaching me about Hinduism and Buddhism. I mean, this is like back in 1998, right? Mm. And so, you know, you see Alan Watts on YouTube now, like people send them to me, like they're teaching me something. I'm like, bro, I knew Alan Watts when I was a kid. Before you were probably in diapers, but that's, that's how far back I had been seeking. So always, in fact, I came into philosophy when I was like 12 years old uh, because I picked up a book that said, what are you? And I've always been fascinated with trying to figure out what the hell am I? Because I'm a mixed race man living in America. 
So people are always asking me, Elliot, what are you? I don't know. I got. I better go. I better go find out. So I start reading scripture and literature and you know holy writings. Oh, oh, well, it turns out I'm a whole lot more than just the color of my skin. And so, yeah, I had been searching everywhere except my own backyard. You ever what? You ever read that book, The Alchemist? I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's about a journey. You know, yeah. as all great tales are. A young boy, and he goes off on a journey and the whole book is about his journey and all kinds of great things and bad things and stuff that happens to him. He finally gets where his destination is and it turns out to be not what he thought it was. And then he goes back home and he finds his treasure right where he was daydreaming. And wow. so it kind of like happened that way for me. I was going, I hit rock bottom. I was in a hard spot in my life uh, about the age of 36, which I've discovered is cyclical. It's a pattern. And so there are crises every 12 years. And for me, it's every 12 years, it was right on time. Then wow. I discovered it the third time around. I was like, oh, this is a pattern. But anyway, so uh, it's an initiation. It's an it's a, it's a opportunity for initiation. And I was initiated through God's prompting me to fast. He just laid it on my heart. He said, just stop eating. Just stop eating and I'll guide you. And so he stopped me from, I stopped eating. I fasted. I lost like 40 pounds. I got really skinny. I was healing some skin problems too. So it was like, you know, I was doing it for my health and for my soul. And one day it just started flashing across my mind, all of my malignant, sinful ways. <laughs> I'm a prideful guy. I am. It's just my nature. I got a big ego. I, you know, I like to be first. I like to be seen. And for the first time in a very long time, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, I'm a bad person. <laughs> I'm a bad, and because I had made excuses for so many years about this way I was living, sinful, right? I didn't, I wasn't living a bad life. I wasn't like a, a criminal, but I wasn't a righteous man. And it's very easy. Father Ripperger says that sin darkens the intellect. And now I understand why, because when you sin, you you have to convince yourself that that sinning is okay so that you can keep doing it. And mm. with each sin that you continue to perpetuate, you rationalize yourself into further and, and darker and deeper sin right. so that you, you, you start get to, you can't no longer see the light. And that's what a lot of us do. And I find myself down that route where I was, you know, my intellect was darkened and all of a sudden there was a light was turned on and God was showing me like all the things you've been doing. Like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Back to when I was like maybe a teenager, I'm seeing all these things and I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so I was guided to confess my sins. That's what God said. He said, Go confess your sins. I'm like, okay, like to who? And then it dawned on me. I have the sacrament of reconciliation because I was baptized and confirmed as a Catholic when I was a kid. I don't know. My parents were doing it. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. I'm going to go. And so I had to go on Google. I don't know anything about Catholic churches. Uh, this was like 2019. And... I look on Google, I'm like, okay. And then I had to go on YouTube and figure out like, how do you do a confession? Cause there are certain prayers. It's a ritual, you know, it's a rites of passage in a way. And I, I learned all about it. I went there that day and um, I almost walked out. It's almost like, man, the Satan was holding on to me so tight. I was supposed to go in. There was a long line. The line stopped when I was at the front of the line and the priest came out and he's like, I have to do mass. He said, wait until after. I was like, damn it. I got up and I walked out. 
And then something just grabbed me by my shirt, sat me back in the chair. And I confessed my first sin, blew my eyes out, confessed like 35 years of all kinds of sin. <laughs> and uh, and have been at, have been back ever since, discovered how beautiful. It's not like I discovered the faith was beautiful and went back. It's like I was I just had to admit that I was Catholic. I didn't I didn't want to be Catholic. It wasn't like I chose that. It's like, yeah, I guess I'm Catholic. All the searching. Well, here I am. And then I discovered how beautiful the faith was. I was like, well, this is everything I've been looking for. It's got ritual. It's got ceremony. It's got meaning. It's got history. It's got Christ. It's got Mary. Yeah. So I, it like drew me back in and then I started learning about it. I was like, wow, I love being Catholic. <laughs> that's great to hear. Uh, happy for you. That's, that's so great. Yeah. Uh, as we kind of, well, I wanted to ask you this real quick. Desert Island workout, if you're stranded and you only could do 30 to 60 minutes a day and you could have equipment or maybe no equipment, what, what would you do if you were stuck out there for five years, you could only do 30 to 60 minutes a day, the same exercise every day? What, uh, what do you think it would be? Swim. That's easy. Yeah. How the hell do I get off this damn island? <laughs> I'd probably swim a raft, get a raft, put it out further, probably try to put an anchor, swim back the next day with another one, and just maybe see if I get my way back home, or at least get out to the middle of the ocean where a boat might see me. I'd have to get real good at swimming. That's what I would do. That's good. That's good. Either that or, of course, before that, hunting. I'd have to figure out how to catch stuff with my bare hands, and the workout would be hanging out up in a tree. I'd probably be like sharpening a lot of sticks. That'd be a workout, you know, sharpening yeah, yeah. sticks. Yeah. And then sitting up in a tree and I have to learn how to javelin throw. So a bunch of different things I'd have to do for survival. I wouldn't be doing fucking burpees. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do one last thing at the end, which is uh, the shootout section where I just say a word that's related to the guest and you just fire the first word back that comes to mind. There's no right or wrong answers. It's just kind of a fun little thing to do yep. Jim Jones sweat and blood strength Elliot Hulse it's good deadlift <sighs> squat Ass to grass. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Bench press. Eh. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Cardio. I need more of it. Florida. Would never leave it. Business. It's doing all right. Could be better, but I'm starting all over again. Last but not least, pizza. Ugh. That means bloat and itchy and bad things, almost like beer. Gotcha. I asked this to everybody at the end. If you could go back in time to your 15-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? I'd tell him, don't worry about anything. You'll be all right. You don't have to do anything, buddy. Just keep showing up. Uh, you'll get there. I really didn't do anything. I just kept showing up. So 
I would tell him, relax. You'll be all right. Don't stress. That's great. That's great. It's been an honor. Thank you so much again for taking the time to be on. And uh, any last words? No, this was cool, man. Appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You guys have been watching and listening to the Jason Amico show with special guest Elliot Hulse. Thank you guys so much for watching and tuning in. Don't forget to, if you haven't subscribed to Elliot yet, please do at uh, ElliotHulse.com. You can find all of the social media there. It'll make you strong. Uh, it'll whip your ass even through the internet. <laughs> I know, I know he did for me. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. That's Peace. Right.